Reading today is from 1 John chapter 2. Children, it is the last hour, and as you have heard, that Antichrist is coming. So now many Antichrists have come. Therefore, we know that this is the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out, that it might become plain that they are not of us. But you have been anointed by the Holy One, and you have knowledge. I write to you, not because you do not know the truth, but because you know it, and because no lie is of the truth. Who is the liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist, he who denies the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. Let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, then you too will abide in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise he made to us, eternal life. I write these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you. But the anointing that you received from him abides in you, and you have no need that anyone should teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about everything, and is true and is no lie, just as it has taught you, abide in him. And now, little children, abide in him, so that when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink from him in shame at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. This is the word of the Lord. Right, if you would have a seat this morning, we've got quite a bit to cover this morning. We are not going to cover all of it, but let's uh, take a moment and ask God to bless his word to us this morning. God and Father, you have spoken as surely as if uh, we heard it from your own mouth. You have uh, sent your apostle John to say things to us uh, that we might be uh, shaped in our uh, doctrine and our deeds and our devotion uh, to Jesus Christ. Lord, we ask you that you would uh, not only teach us, but that you would shape us for the uh, life that we are now living in Christ uh, before uh, you send your son again, before we enter into uh, the permanent kingdom. Uh, So, Father, we ask that you would shape us for the here and now, not just uh, for the by and by. Lord, we love you. We thank you for all of these things that you have said to us and ask you that you would move mightily for the name, for the fame, and for the glory of your son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, I have a question for you, and it's something that I think that uh, most of, if not all of us, uh, have experienced in this life, and that is, have you ever had a close friend leave a church? Uh, Maybe even not just a church, not just the one that you're a part of to go to another church, but leave the church in total, leave the faith, go somewhere else. I, uh, I don't mean to bring up this subject because it can be really devastating to see family and to see friends, to see people that we were uh, bound together with, that we uh, prayed for, that we cried for, that we bore burdens with, actually leave a church, leave the church. And so I don't mean to just talk about how devastating that is, especially after a very uh, sober morning uh, last week when we discussed uh, abortion. If you were not here this week, go back and revisit that. It's, uh, it's, it's going to tell us something about how uh, we intend to move forward um, uh, over the next uh, few months 
having to do with uh, abortion and uh, the, um, uh, the turning down of Roe. Uh, go back and, and see that. But I, I don't mean this morning to bring up another heavy topic, uh, to start in the place of talking about things that we have all of us, especially if you've been around, experienced for quite a while. What I do have to say is that I have experienced this too. Uh, it, it is not just you, it's not just uh, most of us that are here. I have experienced seeing my friends, my family members, my brothers and sisters leave the church, and for all kinds of reasons. Uh, sometimes it's good reasons. I've had to uh, do those gospel goodbyes, sending people out onto the mission field. And it's, it's hard to see them uh, kind of go out of our church family. We've seen people that uh, maybe uh, have particular needs that uh, aren't necessarily best uh, fit, best addressed in this church. Uh, City Church is not a church uh, for everyone that meets everybody in the midst of where they're at. We're very uh, understanding of that. We don't have any greater desires than uh, Jesus has for you. And so if there are other churches that meet those needs, we have brothers and sisters all over the city in good gospel-believing, Bible-preaching churches, good families of brothers and sisters in Christ who bind themselves together uh, to live out this Christian life. But I'm not primarily talking about those good reasons. I am talking about some of the greatest sorrows that I've ever had in my life were to actually see those people that I love and care about actually leave the faith. In fact, uh, I've seen a rash of it. And it's not something that's, uh, that's new. We're going to find that it's something that was happening here in John's day. But it doesn't make it any less uh, easy or, or any less difficult to see people move their way out. Right now, today, I'm, uh, I'm very convinced that there, is, uh, there are a multitude of false gospels kind of in our midst, but I've uh, seen the, the false gospel of uh, conservatism, political conservatism, and wokeness uh, kind of codify themselves into uh, religions, into cults, really, the demanding fealty, complete fealty to whatever savior there is in those. I've seen these false gospels uh, take and embrace things like social justice or uh, patriotism and exalt those things above the gospel of grace alone. That's the message that we preach here. That's the message that we find in the pages of scripture. It is not subservient to any other message, any other worldview. The gospel is not that you are saved by the works of racial equality or bootstrapping, you know, kind of conservatism. It's not that uh, you will be saved by gender affirmation or some kind of political activism. But I have seen professing believers first attach those things to the gospel and then ultimately elevate them far and high above and begin serving those as the one true God rather than believing in the one true gospel. Once the gospel is subservient to or interpreted by any other worldview, people will leave the faith. Why? Because they already have. I've seen so many people, even members of this church, uh, first begin to question things politically and then then, uh, invariably and very quickly find their way out of the church, not questioning whether or not this church was faithful, but questioning the atoning sacrifice of Jesus. I've talked about this before. I'll continue to bring it up because I see a contagion that is being used to peel believers, professing believers, away from the church in this time. And I mean to say so. I think it's very dangerous. 
We will continue to talk about it, but it brings great sorrow because this isn't just an idea. These are names and faces. These are brothers and sisters. These are people that we genuinely and still care very deeply about. So how do we understand when this happens? How do we understand when false teachers kind of come along? How do we understand when church members and friends leave? How do we think about it? And what I think that this text would answer for us this morning is something very simple, and that is that God's anointed always abide. God's anointed always abide. We'll, we'll kind of have to take a road to get there. We'll have to see the seriousness of the schisms in the church. There are serious schisms, and we've got to see them for what they are. Second, we've got to understand the anointed abiding. There is in this text something about being anointed and abiding. And then finally, we'll have to embrace, completely embrace, the permanent promises that God makes for us and to us. So that's the road, seriousness schisms, anointed abiding, permanent promises lead us to understand that God's anointed always abide. But if this is your first time here, we we take time to march through texts of the Bible. The reason why is because I'm not smart enough to determine what the regular diet of our people should be. So we rely on God to do that. We pick books of the Bible and we just march through the text, hopefully understanding what they are, but then also understanding the intersection of Jesus and the gospel and how it applies to those text, and then for us to know and understand how to live in light of them. First John is the book that we're in this morning. We're going to be spending time there, so don't close your Bible. But what you need to understand about where we've been so far is that there have been all of these stark kind of if-then statements. John is using these uh, litmus tests, as it were, for you to understand where you fall in line with the Father. How are, how are things? How are you doing? What is the state of your soul? He's using these if-then statements to provide clarity, but he's also using them to shape doctrine and deeds and devotions. And here we need to understand something of who John is. We need to re- be reminded of it because we're going to uh, need to know it in order to understand this passage, and that is that John was the beloved disciple. He was the one that Jesus leaned on, loved, cared for. He was Jesus' best friend forever, we'll even find out this morning. He loved John, and John didn't just uh, love Jesus. He wasn't just a part of this uh, group of 12 disciples that kind of went around uh, the Galilean and uh, Judean and then ultimately uh, Jerusalem area. It wasn't just that. He received an anointing, an apostleship, a calling, authority to be able to speak not just to who he's writing to today, but writing to you as well. Last week we learned that we cannot both love the world and love the Father. You can't love the world and the things of the world. We discovered that and also love the Father at the same time. Your heart cannot serve two masters. You can't serve the world and also say that you love God. What we find there is is that we are to be in the world, not standing apart, not in some cultish kind of commune. We're to be in the world, but not of the world. We're not to be shaped by the world. We're not to love the things that the world loves. And then he continues on last week with an assuring encouragement of believers that were reading him in verses 12 and 14. You can see this kind of ode to believers. He's speaking to them. He's saying, I'm writing to you. I'm writing to you. And we can hear all these centuries later that he is indeed writing to us and feel this encouragement, this assuring nature of what he's saying. And then here this week in verse 21, he 
continues on to tell us why he is writing in that assuring encouragement. He says, I write to you not because you do not know the truth, but because you do know it. And that no lie is of the truth. He's, he's there telling us, you, you, you know the truth. I'm just going to be here to remind you of it. You heard it before. It's the same now, regardless of who comes in and says that it's not. I'm writing to you. Here at this morning, all these centuries later, John is writing with apostolic authority and love and affection and encouragement and assurance to you this morning. So you can have great confidence in what he's about to say. So it is that the Spirit, it's kind of in this Spirit that John writes to us this morning, and he's speaking to us with both love and truth in mind. So if you are a believer, if you claim Jesus Christ as your own, if you have cast your lots with him, if you have said, all of my allegiance is Jesus's and Jesus's alone, he is writing to you this morning, and he's writing to speak to us very kindly about the schisms that happen in our midst. A schism is when something is torn apart. When something is divided out, we see it constantly throughout church history, the serious schism. Verse 18, it says this, children, again, endearing, it is the last hour. And as you have heard that Antichrist is coming, so now many Antichrists have come. There's something serious that's happening in these beloved churches of Asia Minor, and John means to write to them to confront it so that they know how to understand, know how to interpret it when people are going away. And what he's going to illuminate for them is that not only is something serious happening, he's going to use language, even apocalyptic language, to kind of highlight what he's after this morning. He's going to say twice, the last hour, the last hour. And he's going to say, who is this Antichrist? Indeed, all of the Antichrist is very interesting. It's very confusing to have this apocalyptic kind of language woven into a message that I'm going to tell you is not primarily about that. What we're going to see is, is that these antichrists have come in and essentially that we can know and understand when it has come by looking at what it denies and then what it deceives and then seeing people depart. We first look at the denials. We find clues in the passage about what these last hours are. The last hour, if you look there in the scripture, is when the Antichrists come. The, the last hour has something to do with the present of Antichrist or Antichrists. How are we to understand that? Well, well in verse 22, it says that the Antichrist, Antichrists are those who deny the Father and the Son. So we find out right from the get-go that there are people that are leaving, and it has to do with denial. It has to do with something that is truth, that is being denied, that's being obfuscated, that's being covered up, that's being lied about, that's saying this is not true, and it has something to do with the Father and with the Son. Schisms, what we need to take away from this is, is that dividing, divisions within the body always start with denials. Denials of who? Of Jesus, the Son, of God the Father. But we don't just see that there are denials. We see that those denials actually lead to deception. We see in verse 26, I write these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you. So the denial can't be just left alone. It can't be just a person denying Jesus and the Father. They can't just keep it to themselves. They can't just leave on their own. There are these teachings, these false teachers that come in and teach their denial, and they deceive others. 
I'm writing you these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you. And then we find in verse 19, back up at the top of our passages this morning, that that leads to departing. When you deny the Father and the Son, and you go to deceive others, there's a group of people that departs. Verse 19, they went out from us. They went out. First of all, just an observation, there was something to be in, right? It's not just that there's this like loose kind of amalgamation of people that kind of said, ah, we're kind of together. No, 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 it was a family. There, There was something to be a part of. There was something to belong to. Here at City Church, we want to be a place to belong to. We want to be a family to be a part of. We want to be brothers and sisters in Christ. And we actually want to uphold some things that actually say this is City Church. These are the people of City Church. It drives me crazy when I hear people talking about the church as if something, it's something that you can kind of fade in and out of. You can kind of be on the edge of. You can know a few people in, but mostly not relate or orient your life towards or around. There is something to belong to. Why? How do we know? Because those who were deceived departed. They left. Those who were not a part of us have left. They've gone somewhere else. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been, they would have continued on with us. John's making a very simple argument here. It's not something that's very uh, complicated. If you're a part of something, you're in. You're leaning in. You're a part of it. You name yourself by it. I'm a member of City Church. I'm in. I'm here. If I depart, I say, I'm not there. I'm not here. I'm not coming. I'm not a part of that group. There's something to be in. There's something to depart. We must understand that this deception leads to a departing. And here, this is why I don't focus as much on this passage being a part of the apocalyptic literature, the last hour, the Antichrist. Does it have nothing to do with it? No, 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 it has something to do with it. In fact, if you were to study the word Antichrist, what you're going to find is it's used very rarely, as little as four times in Scripture, depending on how you're translating things, and they are mentioned mostly here in this passage and then in Second John. So we'll actually be covering all of those passages that are normally kind of written. That might be surprising to you. You might think, no, 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 Revelations talks about the Antichrist quite a lot. But by name, the Antichrist is used here. So how can it be that it's talked about here in terms of last hour and Antichrist, but not be the focus of the message? How can we not spend a lot of time focusing on what is happening? It's because John is focusing in another area. It's not his primary purpose to talk about the things of the end times. Rather, what he's going to do is he is going to talk about this last hour in Antichrist, I will I will tell you what I think, in kind of a dualistic way. He's talking about it then, but he's also talking about it now. And there are ways of interpreting these things. There are literal ways of interpreting these things. There are futurist ways of interpreting these things. There are preterist ways, weird word, but you know that's a way of actually interpreting these things. For me this morning, I'm going to take a dual approach. Why? Because last hour here seems to refer both to the time immediately preceding Christ's return and And also, he's talking about it in the present. I also think that how we should take it is thinking of it today. Do we have people that are leaving our midst, that are departing from the faith? We do. So there is one sense that last hour is referring to a future time. 
There's a, another sense that, few, uh, that the last hour was, return, uh, was uh, talking about the times in and around the destruction of Jerusalem. But, but how does that apply to us? Like today, here and now, does John say, hey, listen, this is applying now, but future readers, by the way, don't pay attention to any of this. This doesn't have anything to do with you. Of course not. Why? Because the last hour is also something that he is using to cultivate urgency. He's talking about the time from when Jesus ascended into heaven until the time that he comes back and that there should always be some amount of urgency for us. Why? Because Jesus will return. He will return as surely as he ascended into heaven. He will return. How is he going to return? He's going to return like a thief in the night. He even says, I'm, uh, you know, uh, it's not for me to tell you when that is. The Father in heaven will send me, and when he does, it's going to be surprising. It's going to be like the last hour. How are Christians supposed to be thinking about the last hour? Making movies about like the, uh, the predictions of the future and some remnant of people that's left behind after everybody else is like ascended into heaven. I would just say no. That's not, what we're, that's not how we're supposed to think about it. We're supposed to think with some amount of urgency about what is happening right now and John is helping us do that. You might say, okay, that's all fine and well. What about Antichrist? This is something that's appearing here in the text. I would say similarly, this does speak to the, law, the man of lawlessness that's spoken about in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. It is talking about that, uh, possibly talking about that beast that we see in Revelation, but how are we to think about it? Is this helpful for us thinking about the future or thinking about some time past at the destruction of the temple, or is it helpful in us thinking about it today? He even clarifies he says, the uh, Antichrist come. But, but not Antichrist. There are many Antichrists right now. John is saying there are Antichrists right now. And I would join with him in saying there is uh, a spirit of Antichrist now that we have to deal with. There are Antichrists now. So yes, he is referring to this man of lawlessness and he is also referring to the spirit of many antichrists that are, were alive then and that are certainly alive now. We are living in the last hour between Jesus' ascension and his inevitable return so that we might be urgent about what we are doing. Your life is not meaningless. You stand uh, at any moment to be confronted by the edge of all eternal his, uh, 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 future. And you could be met with it in this moment. And he wants us to be urgent about something now, but he also wants for us to be on guard. There is a lawless son of destruction, just like it says in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, who proclaims himself to be God and who is, uh, is bringing about false teaching that, they, that he might be worshipped rather than God. But it is also talking about the false teachers in John's day. It's also talking to us about false teachers today and what they teach. So we are to be urgent and we are to be on guard. Why? Verse 19. But they went out. They went out that it might become plain. They went out that it might become plain that they are not of us. 
Now, those are hard words, especially because for those of us who have seen people depart, these people have names and faces like we've already talked about. There are emotions that are wrapped up when we tether ourselves to one another, when we mingle our souls, when we think about purposes that are bigger than us, when we collaborate together to see more people know and love Jesus, and then people depart, that youth minister departs, that, uh, that pastor uh, you know, quits writing books and decides to follow some other false gospel far away away, that person leaves us in our midst. It's hard. It's, it's hard. It's hurtful. We know and understand these things to be hard and hurtful because they are real to us. Here we learn that it is serious business to be part of a church. John he wants you to know it's serious business to be a part of the church. It's, it's literally something that is a big deal to be a part of, not to stand on the edge of, not to constantly critique, not to uh, have your preferences override how you participate, but to be a part of something, to be a part of a local church that is a part of the universal church. We need to know that this is serious business. So he gives us the doctrine. He tells about how this should interact with our deeds, and then we go about having our devotion cultivated and stoked. It is serious business to be a part of and serious business to go out of a church, and John is saying so. There is something very important about being a part of the visible church. There is something very important about belonging to a church. There's something significant about being a part of the work of a church. There is something seriously spiritual about being a part of a church. And you might be tempted to think, you would say that, Pastor. You're just trying to grow something here. You're trying to pull people in. You're trying to get something accomplished. No, no, no. That's not it at all. The reason why I say that it's serious business first is because John is saying that it's serious business, but then on the other hand, I've seen the destruction of being apart. I've seen people fall out of the church, and I've seen the, the sin and the misery that is uh, out there for some of those people. I, I've seen the uh, languidness and the listlessness, listlessness of life. I've seen the purposelessness that people have apart. I've seen marriages disintegrate. You know what, no, what the number one thing that I start thinking about whenever we have a family who's moving away from our church is their marriage? That's a weird thing to think about. It's because of how many times the first step towards divorce was finding their way out of a biblical church. And you can sugarcoat it. You can find all kinds of doctrinal issues. All the time when I have these conversations, I'm asking, this is fine and good. Where are you going? What are you going to do to make sure that you have some amount of accountability? What's the state of your marriage like right now? Is this just the first step on a long step towards divorce? I've seen the misery that comes with finding your way out of a church. And you may be tempted to think, that hasn't been my experience at all. Pay attention. I've seen it time and time again. I've seen hurting, uh, hurting marriages uh, fake and you know, falsify uh, reasons to leave a church and find their way out. Does that mean that a, uh, a hurting marriage can't ever find their way out of city church? No, I've counseled for it. That may surprise you, but I found people that just weren't thriving here. They needed a deeper level of like biblical counsel than we are currently able to give. I, I, I've seen people that have lived in other areas of town, and they just needed to be more intertwined with a community 
They didn't need to be driving 25 minutes. It was very difficult. It was easy for them to shield brothers and sisters in Christ from what was going on in their marriage. I have counseled people who were hurting broken marriages actually out of city church. But why? So that they might see restoration and redemption and reconciliation, that there might be more glory in their marriage. But I'm always tuned into it. Why? Because if you depart God's community, if you depart his family, it's a dangerous thing. It's serious. And it can lead to serious schisms in the church. Here we are learning about the serious business of being a part of the church. So do not deny Do not deceive. Do not depart in the way that this is talking about it. It's a matter of eternal significance for you and for others. When you see people that are looking to depart, be on guard. Ask why. Be willing to press in. Not oppressive, not weird. Don't don't be heavy-handed with people. Try to understand what it is. But also be willing to be bold to call people to stay, to be here, to work here to be a part of the church always. This is a matter of significance for you and others, and the effects can be disastrous. So we understand that there is something serious about the schisms that happen in churches. But second, we want to talk about the anointed abiding. We want to understand it. And this is so cool that there is an anointing, that there is an anointing that precedes abiding. Verse 20, it says, But you have been anointed... You have been anointed. John is talking to his original audience. He's talking, if you are in Christ, to you today. You have been anointed. By whom? By the Holy One. And you have all knowledge. Man, I I love that statement right there. It's talking about this anointment that we get from the Holy Spirit. And and this passage is so Trinitarian. It's talking about how uh, there are these truths about the Son and the Father and that people try to deceive and tell lies about the Son and the Father. But here we see there, there is an anointing on you if you're in Jesus Christ by the Holy Spirit. There is this anointing of the Holy One. So far we've heard about the Son and the Father. Here we see the Holy Spirit anoints His saints. The hearers have seen the deceived departed, but then there are those who stay. How do we understand why someone would stay? They stay because of this anointing. Verse 24, let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. What we understand here is that if what you heard from the beginning abides in you, you will abide in the church. John is calling them to remember the gospel, the apostolic teaching of grace through faith. What was happening at this time? What was happening? We know that there were these false teachers that came along with Gnostic beliefs that you had to have special knowledge in order to be in with God. And they denied the flesh. They said that the flesh, your body, all of the things of the flesh, those things are bad. If you want to be a real believer, if you want to be really in with God, you've got to be spiritual well, what about uh, the son? What about his body? No, 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 not, not a body. Jesus was mostly spirit, like all spirit. There was nothing bad in him, so he couldn't have had a body. That is a heresy. And John is confronting it by saying, you cannot believe in these false gospels. You can't be willing to follow this idea of special knowledge. Here's the truth. I see always in the church this idea of special knowledge. We, we as uh, sinners develop hierarchies 
in terms of like, you know, uh, well, I'm just a better Christian than you are. How? Well, I have special knowledge. I just, I have a, a special prayer language. I have uh, this idea about how worship can and should and only belongs in these kind of places. And you just can't worship like me. I'm more spiritual. There's like this weird hierarchy that gets involved in like the Christian community. And what is trying to happen here is a Gnosticism. I have special knowledge. And what John is saying is you've got to remember the gospel the gospel that you were taught, the gospel that the apostles brought to you, the one true gospel that you are not saved by your works, you're not saved by special knowledge. You don't have to believe these false things about who Jesus is in order to be saved. Rather, all you have to do is receive grace from God through faith. There's no other thing. Remember what I told you originally. And if you do, there's an anointing. And the anointing leads to abiding leads to abiding. Remember these truths, John reminds them. Remember the truth of the gospel, not the lies. Verse 22, who is the liar? Who is it? Who is the one that comes in? If you're wondering like, hey, how do these schisms happen? How do I not be pulled apart? How do I not depart? How do I know someone is an antichrist when I hear them? And John's very specific about this. Who is the liar but he who denies that Jesus is Christ? Listen, you hear things like this all the time. They may not be stated that clearly, but you will confront things that tell you all the time that Jesus is not the Christ, that he is not worthy of your devotion that he maybe was a good teacher, that he was a good guy, that he was something akin or maybe a little bit above Buddha. Like, he's got lots of good things for you, but he's not the Christ. You might hear false teachings that Jesus can't save you, this other thing needs to save you. You might hear and be confronted by false gospels all the time, and John is saying, remember the truth. False teachers are crafty, but their ultimate aim is to convince you that Jesus isn't the Christ. I hear this a, a, a lot right now, especially as it relates to uh, Jordan Peterson. Uh, a lot of people have you know, come, hey, what do you think about Jordan Peterson? I've mentioned him a couple of times. Uh, wives have been concerned about their husbands listening to Jordan Peterson more than the Bible. They're talking with me about it. I hear about uh, a lot of people that are just like, Jordan Peterson, Jordan Peterson, Jordan Peterson. And, and it's, it's crafty because Jordan Peterson talks a lot about the Bible. And I'm, I'm really glad that God in his just like ultimate wisdom has brought, a, uh, brought about this guy that's encouraging people to read the text of the Bible. But when you listen, if you listen hard, what you're going to discover is he is not proclaiming Jesus as the Christ. He's going to talk about all of these uh, Bible stories as the best stories for you to learn and understand how to interact with the world. You're going to hear him say there's lots of room for meaning. There are even maps of, road maps of meaning for you if you'll just read the scriptures. And then he gets asked, do you believe in God? And he's like, I wish that people wouldn't ask me about that. That's his words, not mine. Now, now, he is not far from the kingdom. I see constantly him etching closer and closer to talking about Jesus as king, but he's not there yet. 
not, at pu- not publicly at least. And what we need to understand is that there are false teachers that are very crafty. Some, most of them may not even be intending harm. They're just trying to do uh, you know, what seems right in their own eyes. But what's happening is, is that the ultimate deceiver is working in and through all of these things and utilizing their platforms to pull people away from belief in the one true savior, and that is Jesus Christ. If you want to know who's an antichrist, it's the one who is anti-Christ. They're saying he's no, he's no savior. He's not the Christ. This is the antichrist. He who denies the father and son. No one denies the son. No one who denies the son has the father. So I want to ask you this morning, do you know the truth? Do you remember the true gospel that John is beckoning you back to, or do you deny it? I want to ask you this morning, do you abide in the one true gospel? Because if you do, what this is saying is is that you will abide. And and that word abide sounds more like rest. We would use the word abide uh, when we're not quoting Jeff Bridges from The Big Lebowski. We would say abiding is like a cozy place. It's a comfortable place. I found my place to abide in Jesus. But what I think John is actually after here is more the idea of perseverance. If you fail to persevere, then you were never a part. That's what I hear him saying. If you don't continue to be a part of what God is doing in his church and you depart from it, you were never a part of it. This doctrine is perseverance. It is the perseverance of the saints. If you abide then abiding looks like eternal obedience that issues from a faith-filled heart, and you will never leave, but you will rather abide. That, that word abide is used in juxtaposition from departing. If you're prone to wander, if you're prone to depart from the truth, if you're prone to leave the church, maybe you were never a part of it. If you abide, if you persevere, if you believe the truth, if you remember the one true gospel, you're a part of his people. And, and, and not just a part of his uh, people for today, not, not just for the next like few years, not just for a few eons in heaven, but for eternity. You are eternally abiding. So those who are anointed will abide forever with Jesus. What I want to do is read verses 26 and 27 so that we can deal with them and then we're going to wrap things up. I write these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you, but the anointing that you received from him abides in you, and you have no need that anyone should teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about everything and is true and is no lie, just as it has taught you, abide in him. That's a commandment. It's a matter of obedience. Are you persevering in Jesus? Are you abiding in Jesus? That's not a question for uh, Monday morning. It's a question for you now. Are you abiding in Jesus? What does this mean? It, it, It means that there's a Uh, a permanent uh, promise for you. Verse 25 says this, this is the promise that he made to us, eternal life. This is the promise that he made for those who are anointed, those who are abiding, it's eternal life. Now here's the truth. 
I'm long-winded. I go long all the time. You get in a coffee shop conversation with me, I can make things that are crystal clear, as obscure and kind of obfuscated as possible. It's just a, it's a bad and good part of my personality. I know it. I'm aware of it. There are times in Scripture where you're just reading through it and you're going like, what is, what is it? What is it? What's the promise here? What's the promise? John doesn't do what I do. He just says, the promise that he made to you is dash, eternal life. It's eternal life. There's no flourish that's needed. There's no extra understanding. You just have this hopeful promise, this permanent promise of eternal life. John, the apostle whom Jesus loved, stresses this point of eternal uh, life a lot. If you read through 1 John, you're going to hear a lot of it. If you read through his gospel, you, you get the idea that this best friend of Jesus thinks a lot about eternity. Here's what's really cool. You may not have thought about this before. The one who is talking to you is the one who sat and ate and loved and leaned on Jesus. And then when Jesus ascends into heaven, he takes up the authority and the apostleship to tell you all about his best friend. And he's talking about it in eternal circumstances. He wants you to know that this is the kind of friendship that you can have and you can have it for eternity. Why? Jesus must have been so sweet and so enjoyable that all that John wants is just to be with his friend Jesus. And the next thing is, he just wants you to be there with him too. If that sounds sappy to you, consider that this is the man who heard Jesus' words. They're still ringing in his uh, head He's the one who loved Jesus more than anything, and he just wants, it, wants you to know about it. He's writing you a letter that you may not be deceived, but rather that you can believe in the eternal promises. Why? Because uh, the Holy Spirit uh, wanted him to write this to us? Sure, absolutely. The Holy Spirit like, is confirming this and bringing it to where it's going to be written down in Scripture forever? Yes, absolutely, but also because he experienced it. Who in this room wouldn't give anything just to be with Jesus for a day? Just to enjoy him, to hear the timbre and, and sound of his voice, to see how gentle he was with children, to hear the authority with which he spoke, to see him uh, turn over tables when he was angry at unrighteousness and wanted for justice, but also just had a tender, careful word, knew when to be quiet knew when it was time to abide in the Lord and actually go and spend some time in solitude. Who wouldn't, who wouldn't want, who wouldn't give everything just to be with Jesus for a day? John wants that for you, but it's not just for a day. He's inviting it, you into it eternally. He wants you to be a part of it eternally. Verse 28, And now, little children, abide in him so that when he appears, so he's making this promise, he's gonna come back, He's so sweet, so enjoyable, I want it for you, and he's going to do it. We may have confidence. We may have confidence, not shrink away from him in shame at his coming. First, what I want to note here is that Jesus is going to appear. He's going to appear in the clouds, and John is just saying, I'm writing you these things so that you won't be surprised, so that you won't lack confidence, so that you won't be ashamed as it's coming again. What he wants you to do is to abide, to persevere, to, to grow in righteousness for the glory of Jesus Christ so that you will not shrink away at his coming in shame. Jesus is going to appear in the clouds. Do you believe it? Verse 29, if you, if you know 
that he is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness is born, is born, is reborn, is born to new life. God always keeps his gospel promises even when eternity seems impossible. God's anointed always abide in his church because they always abide in Jesus. So I just want to invite you this morning to abide, to have confidence, to not shrink away, but to persevere in your faith. It takes an anointing. It takes a sovereign action from God for the righteous rebirth to happen in your life. It takes God the Father sending Jesus his son. It takes Jesus abiding perfectly so that he might also abide, ask or invite you to abide perfectly also. We're going to wrap up with this. John chapter 15, same author, different purpose. I am the true vine. Jesus says, and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that does bear fruit, uh, he prunes, that it might bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word I have spoken to you, Jesus says. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. It always does, uh, if anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and it withers and the branches are gathered and thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me and my word abides in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this, my father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As the father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Jesus abides. He perseveres for us so that we might be grafted in, so that we might be fruitful. He endured the cross that you might endure in this life, and live eternally for the glory of the Father. So I want you to ask a few questions this week in your discipleship group and the times of discipleship that you have with your brothers and sisters here. Are you proving to be Jesus' disciples? Are you abiding? Are you persevering? Are you keeping these commandments? If you are, verse 11 that we just read says, these things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. If you enjoy and give joy to Jesus, if you are anointed by the Holy Spirit, if you give glory to God the Father, then you will abide in the church. If you, if you love Jesus, if you're anointed by the Holy Spirit, if you give glory to the Father, you will abide with him eternally forever. Let's pray. God and Father of grace, you have uh, anointed us in the Holy Spirit. You have grafted us in through the abiding of Jesus Christ, through his perseverance at the cross. 
Father, you have brought us into your family, not to be stagnant, not to be on the side, but to be fruitful, to be a fruitful part of a family. So we ask that you would continue to move in us in these ways. Lord, we love you. We thank you for your word. We ask you that you would convince our hearts of these things, that we might be eternally abiding. Lord, you're anointed, always abide. Would you help us to do that? It's in your son's name, for his fame, for his glory, that we pray these things. Amen.